first-hand encounters that I have experienced through the years, I'm Neil Parks, your host for Paranormally Speaking. This week I'm going to cover first-hand encounters, not just second-hand information passed on to me from people who were witnesses to certain events and or encounters, or third-hand encounters. Uh, This will be me sharing things that I myself have witnessed, and there may have been one or two more people with me that witnessed and encountered the same type of phenomenon. Just sit back. It's going to be story time. This will be a longer-than-usual episode, so if you have earbuds, put them in, and mow the lawn, weed whack, drive, put your ox cord into your vehicle and just let it play through your speakers. Going to be a lot of me talking. So just sit back and enjoy and please hold for an important message from one of our sponsors. I remember a few years ago a walkthrough that I conducted during the daytime at a local property in my hometown of Chillicothe, Ohio. Ohio's first capital. It was before the Second annual Chillicothe Ghost Walk. This was in 2008, and it was in the historic downtown district of Chillicothe, Ohio, where the Erie Canal used to go through, which is now known as Water Street, and the upstairs now apartment area of this property, which beneath it was at that time Lloyd's Sweet Shop. And the upstairs during the days of the canal was a brothel Uh, and at another time it was uh, like group housing but at this time I'm doing a daytime walkthrough and I brought my son with me who was fastly approaching the age of two he was able to walk around and had a bag of candy that I had acquired from Lloyd's Sweet Shop before making our way up there yes I take my children on research and walkthroughs and investigations sometimes. And accompanying us on this walkthrough was one of the founding members of the Women's League of Voters of Ross County, Ohio. They were the ones that were promoting and bankrolling this downtown ghost walk. And they chose me as the primary expert on all things paranormal in preparation for the ghost walk. So they had me walk with uh, one of their members upstairs to what at one time was a brothel. And as I'm walking around, this the stairwell that leads up to the top floor is extremely narrow. Uh, I'm assuming because at that time there were no trans fats in food or hormones, growth hormones in our food. So people were considerably smaller back then on average. And now we have an obesity problem in the United States, so it's going to be a bit more difficult for some people to make their way up this stairwell. But fortunately, during the ghost walk, when it happened a few weeks later, people of all shapes and sizes were able to scale those stairs, make it in, and experience the paranormal that was in this property firsthand. Now, as I reach the top of the stairs, I'm holding my son, And he's clenching his brown bag of candy. Now, some of this candy, you got your basic chocolate coins wrapped in the foil. You have some of your import chocolates and various other gadgetry like novelty items. You know, because I like to splurge on my kids. So this was way before Bella was born, too. She came along two years later. So as I'm walking around with him, I put him down to walk next to me, holding his tiny hand. And in his other hand, he's holding that same bag. And I'm just conversing back and forth with this member of the Women's League of Voters. And before she even tells me anything about the property, I immediately get a sense of female energy. Not just from her, but overall strong female energy in this property, in the upstairs. And I could smell old world cooking taking place or having had taken place at one point in time in this area. Now, you know, that's all old 19th century or 20th century um, 
late 19th century wallboard, of course, and food and other various aromas like pipe smoke or cigar smoke will bake into the wallboard. And due to changes in atmospheric climate change or whatever, those aromas will expel from the wallboard, almost as if the board, the wall itself is breathing. So you get a whiff of that and you're immediately taken aback to another time. So I could smell like old lard and old fried food and various other types of aromas, pipe smoke, um, old world perfumes. It just sort of lingered in the upstairs of this property. And as I'm turning a corner and walking past one of the rooms, because there's a room to the left, room to the right, and three rooms ahead. Now, this upstairs area goes on and on and on. It's all interconnected to the neighboring properties and the properties in the back. This is one city block here that is a part of the historical downtown district. And I go from one room to another, and I keep feeling like something's running from me. Like I've discovered it, and it knows that I feel it, that I notice it, and it moves from room to room. Luke immediately starts reacting. That's my son. As I'm holding him over my shoulder, because I pick him up before we walk further back, because it's a, a bit darker there, and I wasn't sure of the flooring, if it was strong enough to support us. So I have him over my shoulder, and he starts giggling and reaching out to something behind me. And I turn, I don't turn my full body, I just turn my head and look out of the corner of my eye. And he has his hand over both of his eyes, the only hand that's not clenching the bag of chocolates. And then he giggles and moves his hands away from his eyes and then back over the eyes. He was playing peekaboo with something behind me that I could not physically see, but I could metaphysically feel the energy of what he saw with his own eyes. And this went on for about five minutes. And we go further back. I take a left. A few more rooms here and there. And this thing continues to follow us. So at this point, when we reach the main foyer area of the upstairs, beyond all the rooms, beyond the kitchen, beyond the one bathroom that was up there for all of these rooms, I sit him down on a folding table that's up there. And he turns and faces the other way while I'm having a conversation with the representative from the Women's League of Voters about the plans for the ghost walk, where I'm going to be sitting, where they're going to set up my table. Because I would, of course, at this point in time, be selling the first book I ever had published. At, at that point in time, I had only had one book out. This was in 2008. I was a new author, a relatively unknown regionally or statewide or even beyond that. I was just on the lips and minds of a few people. No big deal. And this was way before my podcast or YouTube channel or appearances and documentaries and working with independent film companies and paranormal films and so forth before my IMDB page. It was a humble beginning. And when I sit Luke on this table, he starts blabbing away and conversing with something that's in the corner that I can feel is there, but I don't see it. It's not revealing itself to me. He still sees it. And he opens up his bag, reaches his hand in, and holds out one of the foil-wrapped chocolates and keeps saying, here, here, here. And he puts his hand down and for like five seconds, that freaking foil-wrapped chocolate sort of hovers there as he puts his hand down. And then it just drops on the table. And he takes out a little toy car that was in the bag that I also acquired from the novelty section of this chocolate shop for him. And he rolls it on the table and it stops. Rolls it a little way. And it stops right at the edge. And both the representative for the Women's League of Voters and myself are watching this happen. And the car stops, turns around like someone placed their thumb and index finger on it and twisted it around and pushed it right back towards him. 
he giggled with delight. It was a great time for him. But it was a little unsettling because I couldn't see the damn thing. But he was fully interacting with some metaphysical apparition. And, you know, I've told him this story to this day. In fact, I wrote about the encounter in my second book, which is titled Haunted Chillicothe, all about the history and mystery of this paranormal hotspot that I live in. My first book was titled Paranormal Chronicles, Tales of Humor, Horror, and the Absolutely Strange. And that was a first attempt to essentially dip my toe in the water of the literary world to see where it would take me. Because I just wanted to share stories that my grandmother had relayed to me of her experiences and encounters and people around her, what they saw and heard and witnessed. And my great aunt and my uncles who served in uh, the Vietnam War and what they saw overseas and witnessed paranormal encounters, weird beasts of the jungle, uh, UFO sightings, ghosts, name it. That's what I wrote about in the first book. My own personal experiences and that's why this story I just shared with you made it to my second book because it truly was a powerful experience involving a child and the paranormal. Please hold for an important word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. When I was a kid, I had, I was about 12 or 13 at the time, I had an unusual encounter. I was mowing the lawn. It was at dusk. And this was in mid-Ohio, or south-central Ohio, whatever you want to call it. But I was surrounded by pastures, cow fields, uh, farms. It was the back 40. This was like Bigfoot stomping ground where I lived. Oh, literally over the river and through the woods. Uh, so far off the beaten path that they never even mentioned us on the news when a storm was approaching or if there was a tornado watch. We were just kind of like, oh, we have to watch ourselves and they're not going to mention it on the radio. I was mowing the lawn at dusk, and this is when I was about 12, the summer before I turned 13, and I noticed this huge shadow go across the land in front of me. And I thought it was a cloud at first because the sun was setting, and I look up and noticed this giant floating triangle high above the hillside next to my house. And I could almost make out details in the bottom of this thing. Uh, looked almost, almost like rivets, pop rivets, or some kind of... It was a solid, shiny object. And it had this weird oscillating orb in the bottom of it that was like a translucent blue. And it just, like an electrical ball, just spun around inside itself, equal to that in like submersing a giant marble in, in water and watching it rotate and float around. It didn't appear to be any exhaust coming from it, no exhaust plumes, no sound. I let go of the mower. I stood for a while and watched. And this thing dropped what appeared to be three spiraling pods and they spun around the full object once and then dropped out of sight onto the top of the hillside. And as I'm standing here watching this, I then see the giant craft, which was about the size of a football field, descend back into the sky and almost vanish like someone put a blanket over it or like David Copperfield made it disappear. It was just, it was gone. So curiosity got the better of me because I'd always been a massive UFO enthusiast so, since a very early age. And you have to excuse me. This is the first time I've really gone public with this story because my wife likes to tease me and say that uh, truth is I discovered a moonshine still on the top of 
the hill near where I lived and I was molested by hillbillies. And it's a story that I created to convince myself that I was not molested by hillbillies. That's not the case. I was not molested by hillbillies near any kind of a moonshine still. That's just something she says to tease me. She is definitely the Agent Scully to me being Mulder. So I get on my bike, Goonies style, Stranger Things style, and ride my happy ass up to the top of that hill, which had a dirt path um, for a local paper company coming in and tearing out timber to make paper. So they cleared a nice path for me to get all the way up there as fast as I could. And this was at a steep incline, and I had never pedaled that fast in my entire life. My legs felt like jelly. Um, I got to where the pods were at this point stuck in the ground, and they were the size of, like, coffins maybe. Um, a bit smaller than an outhouse, if anyone's familiar with what an outhouse looks like. A porta potty kind of like a porta potty but they were shaped like triangles as well, but not like a rigid triangle. They had smooth surfaces on the edge, and it wasn't just the three points of a triangle. It was like the shape of what a triangle should have been, but they didn't form the edges on it. And they were black and glistening, very, very shiny. All the light source in the area was just bouncing off these things. And they were open as if something had come out of them, but there were three of them. And I get close enough to where I crouch down and I'm just waiting and watching. And I see movement in front of me, but not just regular walking around or standing. It, it was these three beings were floating to the left, to the right, around each other, almost like a dance routine. They were super fast and they were moving as quickly as what you see in some of the newer horror movies where when a really dark spirit or a demon is in movement, they kind of defy the laws of known physics and move from nanosecond to nanosecond, not in a regular form, just quick shutter style, moving around quickly. And I, I couldn't focus on these things. I, I couldn't make out features. They had these strange auras about them, almost as if they were giving off energy or some kind of light source of their own. But I couldn't tell if they were clothed. I couldn't tell if they had eyes or a mouth. They were just these celestial-looking beings moving around and gathering items from the environment, like soil or a rock, or some of them went up to a tree and put their hand on it and they removed their hand, and the bark was gone in that one spot almost as if they were gathering these things to study or maybe to use to create their own earth like our ours, bringing in minerals and whatnot to rejuvenate their dying planet. That's how I took it. One of them gets a little too close to me when I'm crouched down hiding behind the, the thick brush. And as they get close, I start to get extremely lightheaded. Uh, almost what you read about when people are exposed to high levels of radiation Fatigue sets in, your legs go out from under you, you feel like you can't catch your breath, and then you just black out. And that's exactly what happened to me. This thing approached me, and I could feel it looking at me, and it reached its, what I believe to be an arm, out to me, and I just went black, completely passed out. And woke up, and it was dark at this point. About an hour had passed. Now, my parents assumed that I had finished mowing and just took a bike ride down the road to a neighbor friend's house to play video games or watch a movie or something, because that was something that I had discussed earlier in the day that I planned to do when I was finished mowing. So they weren't too worried. But what's bizarre is when I passed out, I woke up in my backyard with my bike propped up next to me lying facing up to the sky next to the mower that I left. And my bike, I would have to go around the other side of the garage and walk through the one-man door to get my bike out of the garage to then ride it up. So for years, I questioned my own sanity in this thing. Did I dream at all? Did I just have a hallucination from heat exhaustion? And 
I would have gone with that if my bike had not been properly propped up next to where I was lying down and the mower itself was still in the same place. So I obviously had ridden my bike down the road up that dirt path because the dirt was still in the bike wheels, the same dirt that should have come off when riding on the grass if I had ridden through the grass. It was fresh soil on the tire itself. And the bottoms of my shoes had the same powdery soil that is up on that hillside. Uh, for years, the, this encounter has has plagued me, has haunted me, and I've wanted to write about it for so long, but I wasn't sure how the public would take it. I wasn't sure if I would be labeled as a lunatic, but in this day and age where closeted UFOologists are people who just have a fascination with UFOs, it's becoming more and more acceptable, and people are understanding and listening. I feel safe enough to talk about it now, which is why I put it out here on my podcast, and hopefully it would encourage my listeners to share their stories with the strange, the unusual, and UFO encounters of their own. Whether or not it's related to the movies we watch, the TV shows we watch, or if you think it's just a reaction to heat exhaustion or sleep deprivation or maybe bad medication the doctor put you on. It's important to share these stories and not keep them locked up because it can really cause you to question your own sanity and how those around you truly feel about the fascination you have and, and things such as these. Now, I mean, UFOs could change human history, but for now, we aren't giving them much thought. They're just floating around, unexplained and unidentified. We have a lot of work to do, but mention them in conversation, and they're likely to lead to nervous humor, like my wife saying that I was anally probed by a bunch of drunken, moonshining redneck rapists who molested me. That was not the case. Now, that, that's all fun and, and in jest. I can laugh and, and say, oh, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, it was Deliverance, Alabama. But mention them in conversation. They're likely lead, to lead to nervous humor or do most things unfamiliar and out of our control. The pilots may be laughing because they have the comfort of peers who are seeing the same thing. But most wouldn't be laughing if they were alone. We know that life is fragile and that it continues at the mercy of a universe on a little planet orbiting around a star that will eventually flame out. The odds of these supersonic ovals in our midst turning out to be a net plus for humanity are low. Worrying about Donald Trump is almost reassuringly small by comparison, but at least we're trusting our military personnel to see what's in front of them. As Colonel Edwards asks, how could I hope to hold down my command if I didn't believe in what I saw and shot at it? I'm not recommending we shoot at these things either. That could start an interstellar war that uh, we certainly cannot afford based on the fact that we're constantly fighting with ourselves. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And you'll hear me next week on a new episode of Paranormally Speaking. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And now a word from our sponsor. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. Dave Grohl says that the Foo Fighters recorded their upcoming album, their 10th album in that neat, uh, in California. And it turns out the house is haunted. They can't even tell you 
about the house because a lady is trying to sell it. They said, we found out about the history of the house and I had to sign an effing non-disclosure agreement with the landlord because he's trying to sell it. So I can't give away what happened there, but they set up a baby monitor. Things did happen. They did see things. How cool is that? Um, Their guitars would be detuned between sessions. All their settings on their soundboard would go back to zero. Their tracks would go missing. Some tracks didn't record while theirs would be there instead i guess like weird mic open noises okay like the yeah, yeah, yeah mic would just open and noises would be there sure when they walked into the house dave said i knew the vibes were definitely off but the sound was effing on he said <laughs> the, stuff. the vibes were off but the sound yes. was on he said stuff That's started happening awesome. almost right away and they got increasingly weirded out and that wild? Yeah, who would not? I mean, like that's yeah, that's really weird. I Once mean, like, this- you're recording, you're recording like one of the coolest albums that you could record. What your your tenth one, and then right. all of a sudden you're surrounded by a bunch of ghosts. <laughs> I love it. Once they sell that house, I bet we'll get more details. Well, yeah, you want to know ahead of time though that that's the house, right? Yes. Oh my god, I, it's kind of cool actually. Some people. Like, look for haunted houses. I, that's what I think, too. I think like eventually Parks, they could probably get more out of that house because that would be the place. Neil Parks would love that. Foo Fighters recorded there. And it's haunted. Yep. He buys haunted items online. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're you're begging curses to be inside well, your honest. home. Neil, you know, he, he wants to hang out with the ghosts pretty bad. He does. Yes, he does. <laughs> he has some books written right now. You can check them out uh, or you can buy them online. Neil Parks, look for him. He's local and it's all the local haunts around here. Chillicothe, you name it. He has been there and he's written about it. On Wednesday, October 8th, 2003, I took another chance at investigating another crop formation in Peebles, Ohio. My first attempt fell short of any research at all due to a failing battery and the fact that I was kindly escorted off the property by three men who claimed to be off-duty officers watching for acts of vandalism. During my second attempt, I brought my camcorder again, this time with a backup battery. When I arrived near the property, I pulled into the parking lot of the Serpent Mound Park. This is directly across from the formation. There wasn't a soul for miles, no vehicles of any type, no wind. The sky was clear that day, and there was no visible wildlife. I powered up my camcorder as I walked into the field. The second that I set foot within the formation, my camera went black. I began to feel the same static feeling and the ache in my jaw as I did during my visit to the formation in Bainbridge, Ohio. I was almost knocked to the ground by a powerful gust of wind, As it began to get colder, a voice shot out from behind me saying, You're going to need to come out of there now, please. I turned around with whip action to see a very tall, very pale man. He was well built, wearing a state trooper uniform, without an ID badge, a hat, or a gun. He was wearing dark sunglasses. However, he just appeared out of thin air. There were no vehicles other than my own anywhere near either of us. It was almost as if he popped up out of the ground, fell from the sky, or teleported from an alternate dimension. I, I'm sorry, I wasn't aware that this was still a no-trespassing zone, I said to the officer. He replied, turn off the camera, come away from the field, and get in your car, please. I was shocked that he was so calm and collected about the whole ordeal. Am I breaking any laws by being here? I'm just researching the area. Turn off the camera, get in your car, and go home. I will not report this if you comply, the officer replied. Finally, I walked out of the field and turned off my camcorder, as if it were really doing me any good with two failing batteries. I walked past the supposed officer, and all he did was stand in the same position that he had been standing in the entire time. His arms were folded, and his head turned to follow me as I walked by him. It was like walking past the Terminator. I got in my car and pulled out of the parking lot. There were still no other vehicles in sight. There was no way that he would have walked all the way from the police station. I drove past him and watched his movements in my rearview mirror. He turned around and walked directly into the field, then vanished into knee-high crops. I panicked. Where in the world could he have gone? I came to a screeching halt, and then I backed up my car to the same spot where he had been standing. Instantly, on that very spot, my car died, and then it came back on after I attempted to start it. 
My digital meter display was showing all E's, no numbers. All of my radio stations had been reset, and my camera was working again. This time it displayed full power. My wristwatch was behind the time by five and a half minutes, and my cell phone was wiped clear. The man who was supposedly an officer was missing. There was no sign of him anywhere in that field. I took off without looking back. On the way home, I called the local police in the area and explained the entire event to their dispatcher. He listened and seemed very interested. He went on to tell me about an onslaught of calls that he had received about UFO sightings within the last 24 hours and people calling and claiming to see strange animals and other bizarre encounters in the area. He believed me and said that he knows for a fact that the area that I was in was not zoned off and I had every right to be there, seeing as how I had permission from the landowner. He knew that there would be no reason for one of his guys or a state trooper to be within that area at that time. He wondered if that guy might be some loon impersonating an officer. I'm left wondering if the individual that I encountered was not a being of this realm, but possibly from another realm entirely. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Another really crazy encounter I had one time dealt with uh, an evening after moving into our new home. It uh, was a wooded area across the hillside, shrouded in fog, and I'm taking one of our dogs out to go to her, do her evening leisurely stroll and bathroom duty. And as I'm walking up on the bank, I look over that hillside area and see six really long, bright strands of light. Um, there was space in between each bright light, but it, it was long, looked almost the length of a football field, and it was just hovering there. And as I walked closer over that, close to that hillside, I looked further into the fog and uh, realized that there's nothing around it, nothing above or below it. The fog has completely shrouded that bank, that hillside, and those lights are emitting from it. So I run back to the house, tell my wife what I saw, explain to her that I think the mothership is here. She casually rolled her eyes and said, it's probably just a bunch of street lights. I insisted that she walk out with me and take a look at this thing as well. So we go back to the place where I saw it in the beginning. And as we stand over the hillside, I was all prepared to shout at the top of my lungs to everyone who was watching or who could hear, basically, see, I told you, they are here, they've always been here. But as the fog started to dissipate, you could clearly see on that hillside that those bright lights that were appeared to be interconnected with one another, uh, almost on a vessel or whatnot, uh, were in fact just giant uh, security lights adjoined to these houses that were along a strip on the top of that hill. So uh, it was a humbling experience. Uh, it was a real rush to begin with, but in the end, I realized that not everything you see is an unidentified flying object. In fact, those objects were not flying. They were connected to very tall light posts. So in the end, kind of laughed it off. It was a very Mulder and Scully from the X-Files moment for me. Uh, Scully, of course, my wife being her, uh, the one that keeps me from chasing the moon. Thank God I've got her as my voice of reason. So that concludes our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed the uh, brief storytelling and relaying of pretty neat current events, strange news. Next week, I'll have more to discuss and possibly a reading from one of the stories that I've written from one of the books that I've had published. That's all. And now a word from our sponsor. Good evening. 
I am Neil Parks, award-winning author. I am going to read to you a story from my second book, Haunted Chillicothe. The story is about Elizabeth's grave. The legend of Elizabeth's grave has played a major part in the mystery and whispers of legend and lore in this area for many generations. The stories that come from there are terrifying. The rumors are similar from person to person, and the history holds no real validity. So many accounts have been relayed to me through the years, and I approach each case with an open mind and a sense of skepticism. The area in which these hauntings take place is a wildlife reserve off Egypt Pike Road. There is a long dirt road that will lead you to where an old cemetery rests to your left. This location has been vandalized time and time again by local hooligans, which has left a majority of the tombstones in disarray and not placed where they should be. This is an area which is said by many to have been sacred ground among the Native Americans that used to live there. One of the many stories that I have been told pertains to a group of teens that attempted to spend the night in the old graveyard. Their account stated that they were sitting in lawn chairs, and a cool breeze blew through the area. A frightening calm hovered over them, and within a few seconds, the sound of growling and the gnashing of teeth and the vibration of what sounded like hundreds of feet stomping through the woods was headed in their direction. Without so much as a second thought, the teens grabbed their gear, left the chairs, and fled from the campsite completely consumed with fear. In the taillights of their vehicle, they claimed to have seen huge, red, glowing eyes. There are many people who have claimed that they arrived at the site and shut off their vehicles. They will not start up again after that. Some people have reported seeing red glowing eyes protruding through the woods, lurking in the field, or peering from behind the car or the tree where Elizabeth supposedly hanged until she died. I had an unfortunate experience many years ago while I was following up on a UFO sighting in that area. I was walking around the old cemetery location and had the beam of my flashlight panning across the heavily wooded backdrop. This is the area where dozens of tombstones lie scattered about. The sight of total disrespect for the dead saddened me, and what happened next took the breath from my very lungs. The beam of my flashlight exposed what appeared to be a Bigfoot creature. I took three huge steps back before I was able to breathe again. I almost ran back to my vehicle before realizing that this was only a man-made beast. In the darkness of night, along an overgrown tree line, the fake Bigfoot looked very real. It turns out that one of the local high schools does this every year as a prank. There are still so many unanswered questions, different versions of the story, and hundreds of people reporting weird phenomenon in this area that I had to launch a full-scale investigation into the legend of Elizabeth's grave. On October 21st, 2006, while I was taking part in a paranormal investigation with the South Central Ohio Paranormal Society, we attempted to shed some light on the history and folklore that surrounds the area within Elizabeth's grave. There are so many stories that have been floating around this area. The stories pertain to her grave and the mystery behind who Elizabeth was, where she came from, where she went, and what exactly happened to her. Upon our arrival, we ran into a young couple at the site seeking the same answers. They were from this area, however, they had only stopped by once before. They had actually made this night their second encounter in search of this mysterious grave. Their names were Andrew and Victoria. They were there the night before as well. The first time, they were joined by two of Victoria's friends. Their story was indeed strange. According to Victoria a possible residual apparition of Elizabeth herself, touched her. She said, While I was walking to the right side of my group, I was at a distance of no more than two people away from them. My group just happened to be at my left when I felt something grab me and pull me further from my friends. I froze for a moment so I could gather myself. 
I realized that the only other people in the area other than me were my friends to the left, Victoria stated. She continued, I was motionless and still. It was only a few moments before I actually brought up the experience to the others in my group. When they were made aware of this, they bore witness to a phenomenon unlike anything they would have ever imagined. Andrew added, Everything around us grew quiet except the sounds of the tree limbs snapping and a silent whisper coming from that old oak tree to the right. It sits next to the natural path by the cemetery. Andrew explained to us how they were made aware of this supernatural hotspot. They discovered this location through a website that goes by ForgottenOhio.com. This site seems to be a popular resource for local Scoobies. Andrew also informed us of some excellent haunted hotspots in and around the Dayton, Ohio area. His information and their accounts were most helpful. The stories and legends surrounding the mystery of Elizabeth were similar through their statements and understanding pertaining to their experience. The legend, according to what they've heard or read, revolves around the idea that Elizabeth was a witch, frightened local zealots murdered her, and she allegedly haunts the woods in and around the cemetery. She is supposedly buried to the right of the oak tree that she was hung from. However, there are no written records pertaining to her living as a witch or dying as a result of witchcraft. There is a headstone bearing the name Elizabeth that rests in the basement of the archives building in the historical downtown district in Chillicothe, Ohio. It remains there in order to protect that piece from vandals. It is believed to be the real headstone for the actual Elizabeth. Elizabeth and her mother were said to have fled from Salem, Massachusetts in 1692 for the crimes of witchcraft. Elizabeth was supposed to have been 20 at the time of her death in 1712. Elizabeth, only an infant at the time when her and her mother fled from Salem. They were said to be seeking refuge as far from the madness as possible. The two of them took a path in the area that went through what would later be known as the Erie Canal. Elizabeth and her mother found a vacant house in the woods, no more than 300 feet from where the cemetery now rests. Elizabeth's mother was said to have befriended a local farmer. The farmer's first wife died in childbirth. The farmer took Elizabeth's mother as his wife after a long courtship. Elizabeth's mother never told her new husband about her supernatural abilities or where she came from. However, as Elizabeth grew into a young woman, it became evident to everyone in the area that both Elizabeth and her mother possessed special abilities. The discovery led to their death by the hands of paranoid, angry people. With torches and pitchforks, the locals headed to the house that Elizabeth's mother made into a home for them. Later that evening, we finished our investigation by speaking briefly with another group of spooky enthusiasts. They were also looking for the same answers. This group traveled well over an hour to visit this spot, and they too found out about it through the same website. In the end, our research showed while we were in the far left side of this area, we noticed that there were several dozen broken headstones and grave markers. One of these headstones displayed the name Elizabeth. It showed the date of death being 1932. We noticed heavy drops and energy from the readings on our electromagnetic pulse meters. The further we got from the area, the more severe the jump in the electromagnetic energy. The meter stayed calm for the most part. However, there were significant drops in magnetic energy while we were standing near the oak tree with Andrea and Andrew and Victoria. After almost an hour of calm silence, the wind started to pick up and a phantom aroma filled the air around us. It smelled like a strawberry perfume mixed with the smell of rust. While this was plaguing us, my attention was quickly switched. One of my team members stated that they had a feeling 
of a little hand with a gentle grip clasping onto their left hand. Their hands smelled like strawberries for the rest of the evening. This was, without a doubt, more than we bargained for. At that exact moment, our meter dropped by a few points, and after the wind died down, it quickly rose up again. What a night. We not only encountered the unexplained, but we encountered others who were looking for the same answers. We walked away from the investigation only to realize that the case of Elizabeth's grave and the enigmatic mysteries that surround it are definitely still open. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Halloween's around the corner. Most bizarre thing I've ever encountered. One uh, would be uh, when I was a guest speaker at the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I told you, Randy. Uh, several years ago. I've, I've been a regular there, but I've taken some time off from it so I don't bore people. So this woman approaches me, and she is, seems to be distraught, and she's like she really needed to talk to me, but not around other people. So she pulls me off to the side, and she says to me, I don't know how to tell you this, but... I know I've been abducted over and over again since the age of nine. I'm like, okay, go ahead. I, I'm open ears. I hear stories like this all the time. And she said, no, you don't understand. They've abducted me within the last year and impregnated me. I said, really? And she says, yes. And I was carrying the child almost to full term. And then the light took me again. And when I came to, I was in the hospital. And they say I was never pregnant to begin with. But I have ultrasounds showing that I had a child in my stomach. I, I said, oh, okay, did you, you know, did some cult maybe take your baby or something? Or did a dingo get your baby? And <laughs> she's, I didn't really say that. Mm -hmm. That would be rude. So oh, she <laughs> she went on to, to say that she keeps having visions of a child that she um, will never see or never have because it was taken from her by the higher beings. And that she encountered a child that she knew was hers, but it was aged seven years, but she lost it about a year ago. And I'm like, okay, so it aged rapidly, she said, because it's an alien-human hybrid. And she knows it's her child because it spoke to her telepathically. Oh, and no. said, Mommy, I'm here, I'm okay. Um, they need me. They need me. I have a higher calling. And I, I'm start, I'm sitting, I have to sit down at this point. I'm like, okay, because that was a lot to unload on a guy that That's writes ghost books and talks yeah. about Bigfoot and You're like, this is a great man. story. Are you yeah. like... I've always been a firm believer in extraterrestrials, alien life forms, whatever you wish to call them. It's something that's always fascinated me, something that I've researched heavily, read a lot about, and of course every movie pertaining to it or television show, I absorb it like a sponge. It would be naive for us as a race of beings to believe that we're the only ones that can inhabit a planet in this vast universe. Space is ever-expanding, and it would be almost arrogant of us to think that we're the only ones. I firmly believe that God didn't bother to tell us everything, for a reason, of course. Uh, we can't have the same level of knowledge as him. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. Uh, if you can refer back to Old Testament times with the Tower of Babel, man thought he could be as smart as God, be as all-knowing, and he destroyed that tower and cast the men inhabiting the formation of that tower, the occupants of that land to four corners of the world, changing their speech, their appearance, their skin tone, 
uh, therefore prohibiting them from communicating about such projects. So that in itself would be enough for me to continue onward with my research and investigation into alien life forms and phenomenon. Okay, that's it for this week. I'm Neil Parks, award-winning author, your host for Paranormally Speaking. A lot of what I shared and put out for this week, some of the stories you may have heard before from me, if you know me close enough, well enough, or maybe you've never heard them before, or you've read them in one of the books I've written. Anyway, it's always nice to hear a familiar story once again, in case you missed something the first time, or something new for the very first time that may leave you awake at night. I hope I accomplished that. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Be safe out there. I will be in Vermont next week on a family vacation slash research trip. Of course, I'll be at Lake Champlain in search of Champ, as always. And there have been a rash of UFO sightings in and around Burlington, Vermont, that I'll probably be checking into, talking to some of the eyewitnesses and looking at video documentation. Uh, It's anyone's guess as to what it might be, but I would like to take a look at it and authenticate the images and videos, see if maybe there is something going on there that might be keeping the people of Vermont awake at night. And there's also ongoing Bigfoot sightings in and around the Stowe area. So I'll be touching base on that. So have a great weekend. And tune in next time to Paranormally Speaking. Thank you, and God bless.